Hi there, and welcome to PodRocket, a podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try for free at LogRocket.com today. I'm your host, Paul, and we're thrilled to be joined with Natalia Vendito. Natalia is the Principal Program Manager at Microsoft, leading the end-to-end developer experience for JavaScript and Node.js on Azure. She's also a Google developer expert for Angular and web technologies for, in general, we can talk about anything web development related, and an Azure Heroes Inclusive Hero MVP. Today we'll be discussing micro front ends, a topic that Natalia is passionate about and has even created resource at microfrontend.dev. So join us as we explore the benefits, best practices, misconceptions, and you know, talk a little bit about the architecture and why behind micro front ends. Welcome to the podcast, Natalia. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for the introduction. How are you? I'm fantastic. So yeah, today we're gonna to be talking about micro front ends and it sounds like one of those things I would find on another medium post about like the new decoupled jam stack somethings of somethings. But I know there's like a whole that that's a mis that's a misconception. There's a whole can of worms that we're gonna get into here. So for folks tuning in who maybe haven't ever been on microfrontend.dev or they've never like stepped into this like realm of study, what is a micro front end? And can we paint that in some sort of like traditional sense about what I don't know, what a component I don't know what the best thing to relate it to, a component. I'd love to hear your cited story for this. Yeah, I think that's the mo- most controversial part because there is not a one single definition of micro frontend that everybody's going to agree with. And, and I think that's good because in the end, you have to find out what a micro frontend means to you or is to you in the context of your solution from experimentation. That's, that's what I suggest folks do, right? For some people, a micro frontend may be, in the sense of architecture, it may be a whole vertical split, which is you go to a URL and you're loading an application, and that whole application is a micro frontend because it's developed, it's maintained, and it's deployed and released, of course, by a uh, team. And for other folks, it may be just a single button that hits a webhook and it's maintained end-to-end by a team. And it's also deployed independently from the main application that hosts it, like the shell. And so they both fit the criteria of being a micro frontend in a sense, when both components have a very important, let's say, front-end component. And and by component, I don't mean like just one single component. I mean the whole concept of component. <laughs> I, I love that because I, I remember when I was in, uh, studying my first like rendezvous in computer science, I was like, what is the front end? What's the front back end? It's like every it, everything's a front end and everything's a back end. It's about your point of view and your scope. And is that kind of what you're saying here is like a micro front end really depends on what is your team and your application? Like is a micro front end more like a meta idea about like what is the smallest piece of operable thing? Yeah, I think it's okay. You have a, you have to have a UI. That's that's a a requisite, I guess, a prerequisite. You're working on something that is interactive to a user, and a user can be 
a end user as a customer, or it can be, I don't know, an employee using a, um, an internal service of a company, for example. That may be a prerequisite. You have a UI, but then again, what do you have behind that UI or what is it connector, connecting or integrating to? Is it part of that micro component or not? For me, the, 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 the one thing we have to look at is the team that is working on it. And I want to, myself, I am trying to move away from that term, even though I, I have this domain, microfrontend.dev, I have it because I know that folks are going to be searching for microfrontend. And so it's kind of an SEO strategy, but I, I am even suggesting in this website, in this um, collection of resources that people try to move away from this micro front-end term because JavaScript and HTML and CSS, JavaScript, of course, yes, but HTML and CSS on its own may not be able to do a lot of the things that we're trying to do today in web development. So we, we're going to have to uh, invariably move a little bit farther down the stack. And when you are trying to build a micro component, you're going to have a an integration from one end to another. And it's ideal that the same team is responsible for the whole thing, like um, the UI, but also the API and the what, whatever the logic is executed, the deployment container, not necessarily a container in the sense of a Docker container, but whatever you're going to drop that development artifact to, and um, and yeah, and then the pipeline between the development team and that container precisely that makes it possible to continuously integrate changes and so. It's fast. We're talking about fast iteration. I, it almost feels like we're talking about a people problem here. We're talking about reducing friction in between teams, and the smallest way that you can eat that bite with one mouthful. You want to go one omp. And like consume the consume, <laughs> yeah. Get ready to build that API, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I mean, like a micro front end for a small team could be the whole application because you have a small team, so you have a small scope, and it's a small application. And and I love what you just said because now I'm really understanding that micro front end is about what you can do in that one scope with the team that you have, um, and in the in the what you what your requirements are. And I always tell the story like anecdotically. The reason why I got acquainted with micro frontends was because I was working as a frontend tech lead in a very large application. And then we had the PM reach out and say, we need a blog capability and we need it for yesterday. And so it has to be deployed yesterday. And we were like, uh, we have to create the components. We have to create the APIs. And then we realized maybe we don't have to do this in the context of this very large application and wait three weeks iteration to have this deployed. If it was necessary to be built yesterday, then we can do it as an independent deployable unit. And this is when we started trying to explore where we can deploy it, how we can connect it, and how we can make sure that, I don't know, a user hitting one part of the application has the same state as a user everywhere. So federation and all these uh, things that kind of give it 
some some sort of consistency to the experience across the many parts, right? And that's that's uh, how I started thinking about micro frontends more and more, and these independent deployable units that make life easier organizationally and also for the business units behind all these applications to yeah to get their their features delivered uh, at the times they need them. Right, some 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 parts of the application may not need so much development maintenance. Some others are more like dynamic and need more attention. So it's a way to kind of separate concerns. Now, I'd love to get into how you think this is affecting the industry and you know teams at an enterprise scale because there's ways that this is baked into the way teams and HR is built from, you know, years and decades of doing this. But before we do that, I'm just going to take a quick pause uh, to once again, remind our listeners that this podcast pod rocket is brought to you by log rocket. And if you're working on different teams, like we're talking about now, where you have like, you know, your API team, your backend team, and you want to start to conglomerate that and you want to have more control over, you know, what are the backend calls and network calls do and you want to extend your developer tools LogRocket can help you understand exactly how your users are experiencing your web application and your digital product with session replay, ever tracking, heat maps, all sorts of great AI surfaced analytics. And you can solve user reported issues, find those issues faster, and improve conversion and adoption into your stack or application. Try it with LogRocket. But yeah, I'd love to talk more because you mentioned siloing and how like you're, you're having this department, that department, and every big company I've ever worked at, that's exactly how it is. Like I've worked on a backend team or a front-end team. And if I'm talking, if I were to say, hey, I have a micro front-end concept, like I want to build out this feature, I think we can boil it down, whittle it down to these three things. And then like this group of three people do this, this group of three people do this, and then this team, is this is the big main feature. So they'll just focus on that. I feel like I, I would be laughed at sort of. It's like, no, we don't do it that way. Um, so as somebody like yourself, who's coming in and like pushing the envelope and being like, you know, you're blogging about this, you're creating micro front ends. What's sort of like the most painful integration point that, you know, more clearly paints the picture that I was just talking about. And how do you overcome that integration point when you're trying to show the team this new way of development? 20 years ago, this wouldn't have been possible because of how applications were built back in the day. And the role of front-end in the whole picture, it was like relegated to just, you know, painting layer on top of everything and not given too much relevance. But today we are moving a lot more of the logic and the experience, which is not necessarily good sometimes in terms of performance, but there is a lot more happening a lot more interactivity, a lot more need for reactivity. And so some parts of the application may do have those needs. Some others are more static. And this is this is the first thing you have to, to think about. Okay, how, how can I split my application uh, in the sense of what needs to be released earlier, what needs to be released not so frequently? And then this is how you separate the teams. And that gives you the opportunity to allow people, smaller teams of people, to make independent decisions and try new things in parts of the application. And it allows you to foster innovation in a sense and, 
and even reduce attrition. This is something that I see that many people don't think about, right? Many times we get bored as developers, right? Because we are working for years or months or whatever in the same uh, or with the same technologies. If we have this kind of separation of what we do and how we do it, and we are allowed to even rotate between teams and get to experience many different technologies and play play with them. That's very cool from a developer perspective. Of course, it has a con, right? It's the learning curve. It's the how do I enforce certain patterns and conventions and make sure that they are kind of consistent across the whole application because Learning a new a new technology, it's one thing. Learning a new way of doing things uh, as part of a team is another, right? And so for me, there is one thing that is non-negotiable and it's governance. Governance, a, a layer of governance on top of this whole development split, let's say, even the teams and the application as a whole, right? That that then you're putting together those mini components or micro components that then you're putting together. There has to be some kind of a ruling that says, this is how we do things. So even if you move to a different team, we're going to be following certain conventions. So it's easier to integrate. One way to do this is to have an API contract, right? So we're all different clients, but when we're connecting to an API, we're going to do it in this way. At the same time, the teams that are in charge of the APIs know what they have to deliver to each team. Yeah, and this is how we prevent spaghetti and technical debt and all these things. But again, the, the, the benefit, the real benefit from this kind of breaking apart the teams into many or into multiple teams is to allow folks to bring their own ideas and experiment, explore and grow different parts of the application in different ways. The orchestration or the putting all those parts together continues to be and will always be <laughs> very, very difficult. And this is why tools like the one you were mentioning, uh, Rocket, right? Uh, they are very necessary to have some sense of visibility over what's going on, like observability, analytics, uh, making sure you have insights at all time of um, the application as a whole. There has, there has to be a certain layer on top of everything that solidifies and consolidates uh, the integration. And, and that's how you succeed in the end. So Natalia, do you find yourself working with organizations at, you know, it, on your personal individual level, like helping at this level of the stack, be it you know, the people and organization process level in your personal life? Because it seems like you're you're really invested into pushing the boundary and in, in how we work in this in this way. Right now, my job is a little bit different because I work in developer tools, and and there is a lot of that because I work for a very large organization, and then so we have to have a governance layer, and you can contribute to that with ideas. We are, we are also very much API first. But I don't, I, I don't work in projects right now, or I don't consult for anybody. I have this job is, is more than enough. But I try to, to, to participate of as many architecture uh, conversations as possible. And I have this website, and then I also do public speaking, and I'm fully focused on 
yeah, on trying to spread the word and the knowledge I got from from actual work, actually working on this for for so many years. I I hope I can I can contribute to make a better web everywhere because I, I am also very much uh, or very passionate about the web platform and performance and all these topics. So I I really love talking about this. <laughs> I mean, and you put content out actively as well it, you, you know not just coming on the podcast and talking but you have things out there like uh, could you talk to us a little bit about if people want to like see some of the stuff you put out your decision matrix that you've put out for for um micro components like what is that how can people use that to inform their own design so I put that out there because for a very long time I was working mostly as a front-end developer I actually started as a web developer back in the day when we used to do a little bit of everything, PHP and MySQL and blah, blah, blah. But then I moved on to be a front-end developer. And I noticed that a lot of front-end developers did not have any knowledge of what was going on at an architecture level or how those architecture decisions were made. They, they were questioning, why are we making things this way? And that was because many folks, including myself, I come from a design background. Um, they don't have a, a computer sciences background. So they, they don't know a lot of those processes that go before making those technical decisions and stack decisions and, and so on. And I, this is one of the things I, I try to do. I try to educate folks that come from different professional backgrounds onto how to do computer sciences more approximate in a more approximate way than what academics teach, right? And the decision matrix is, is, is a process of putting many technologies together and asking a certain question that may lead to making a decision to satisfy a functional or non-functional requirement and then scoring each technology individually and then uh, summing the total score and then saying, okay, I, I believe that, for example, if I want to satisfy high availability, this technology or this service is going to be more suitable because it has a higher score uh, with respect to this other technology. And this is basically what a decision matrix is for. So we can do this in the front end as well. We typically don't do it, but we can do it. <laughs> and does what you offer on your site sort of help offer and form opinions about real world technologies that are out there right now? Is there, or is it more just walking us through the process about how to effectively rank and decide? I try to be as neutral as possible. Of course, I, I have a disclaimer somewhere that says that maybe my preferences transpire because it's inevitable. We're humans and we, we obviously have some, some likes and dislikes. Uh, but I try to be as objective in the description of the technologies as possible. I just wanted to inform more what, what all those terms that we're hearing over and over right now, like server-side rendering versus static site generation versus whatever, uh, client-side rendering and, and hydration and partial hydration and resumability and all those things that sometimes 
folks here, but don't quite understand. Uh, and then they can put it in those matrices and, and, and make decisions. Beginner, beginner, things that help uh, beginners access that jargon is super valuable. I mean, I remember when I was starting to figure out on YouTube what the difference between server-side and client-side generation was and, and, and hydration and all that. I was so confused. Um, it would be great to have, you know, a single point of view, you know, somebody talking about that. Uh, so people listening, you want to go check it out. You can go to microfrontend.dev to check out the website. And specifically what we're talking about now, microfrontend.dev slash decision dash matrix. And also because I don't have any stakes on any of this. So I, I also, uh, again, I, I try to be just informative uh, and not try trying to persuade anybody to use or implement any of this in their stack. Do you um, optimize the decision matrix for developer experience mostly when you're like, I want people to have a really easy way to step into the technologies and then not shoot themselves in the foot later? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do you feel like you, you have some sort of balance between what this person or group is going to end up making with respect to user experience and, and the developer experience? No, I... I always advocate for the user experience. And, but in my case, the users are the developers, right? So we have to consider that there's always, like in my case, I, I try to enhance developer experience or user experience on top of services that are in Azure. So what I'm trying to do is m making sure that when developers are working with those services, JavaScript, developers, they have a, a better entry point, they have all the documentation, they have all the tools, they know what to do next, they know how to go about integrations, API, specifications, all these things to end-to-end -end deliver an application. So what I do basically is I build all day with all these frameworks, with all these uh, technologies, and when I find gaps, I try to find a solution for that. So that's my my job. What do you think is the state of the stuff that you're helping with right now? Like, do you think micro front ends and this sort of, I don't want to call it a new way to inform teams to, to develop because that's what I want to ask you. Do you feel like this is a new way that you're coming out with? Or is this something that has been in the industry that you're really just trying to define and, you know, help expand more? across teams? I think the industry organically has been moving towards these smaller teams working together and having multiple roles, uh, particularly in the startup scene where everybody ha wears a different hat every day. And then if you think about it, an application that a startup is building can be one micro front end in the context of a larger application. And this is why I was, I was mentioning it depends on the context, what a micro part will be. So I think that many of the concepts that I try to express in this website or in my talks can be useful for this type of organization of people trying to produce something that will be integrated later in a larger scope. So it has a lot of applications, but I, I obviously didn't invent any of this. This was already out there. I am just trying to clarify certain aspects and learning myself how we can do this better, right? 
Uh, I did a lot of experimentation, for example, with module federation, right? Uh, when when it was not even released, and so I feel very confident to try to steer things in one direction or another. But again, from experimentation, from from actually building stuff and and pointing out this can be done better, right? Or this can be done differently, or this is great, which is also the case, right? What's one of the number one areas where you think this can be done better that you see people improving on right now that's exciting you? What can be done better? I don't know. I think as an industry and, and as a community, mostly, what we can do better is try not to hype each other so much <laughs> on things that we are just exploring because that's that's one of the, I think, I think that the, the culprits of some of the pains where we feel ourselves sometimes, right? That's one, one area where we could improve together as a community. I am really, really happy that we are moving away from the client side and back to the server rendering because I think that the end users have suffered quite some in the past. And it, it, it wasn't because we, we were trying to make them suffer, but because of how the technologies work, right? And how much JavaScript were, we were sending to the, to the client side and all that execution. I am from South America originally, and I know that the speed rates and CPU capacity of computers in this side of the world where I was born are not always the same than we enjoy here in, in Europe or in the States. And that's something that sometimes as a developer community also we don't think about, right? We, we develop for high end and for optical fiber and for 5G. And yeah, but in the end, we need to think a lot more about the end user and the business problems that we're solving. And when we do that, we offer better experiences. I think we learned a lesson. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. We kind of got a two for one in your answer. We got a uh, about hype trains and the general state of like how we're bringing things back to the server, which is like a huge move and push that's coming in a variety of different frameworks right now. And if people listening want to uh, learn more about these different frameworks, whether it be a framework or just a general conversation about client and server generation, uh, PodRocket, Pod we have a few episodes delving into a few of your fra favorite frameworks if you want to step into those topics. Well, Natalia, before we wrap up our talk today, are, is there anything that you would like to point our listeners to in terms of existing resources that you think might be informative to talk about micro front ends or other talks or websites that you would like to show people? Um, no, I think there is a lot of information about micro front ends, but uh, online, including mine, but I always... Again, I invite people to experiment and form ideas of their own so they can have their own opinion. And particularly because of what we discussed before about hype and about trends. And it's not that anybody has bad intentions, but we get always very excited about what we're working on. So it's, uh, it's good to always have some sense of objectivity and 
test and try and think of the user first, always. Awesome. Well, Natalia, thank you for your time. And thanks for letting us pick your brain about micro front ends. And honestly, the state of how they affect like web development as a whole it was a really great conversation. Thank you so much. Have a great day.